welcome to this episode of the show. Today's guest is a very special human that I actually met on 6th Street in Austin. And if you know anything about 6th Street, it's kind of the place where everything goes down. If you're ever visiting, it's like the nightlife central. So it was a completely random experience. And he was also walking with two other complete masters of their craft in movement therapy. And he was like limping with a recent knee injury from snowboarding. So we got into this talk, like really intense nerd talk for six minutes on 6th Street. It was the strangest thing. Thought nothing of it. A month later, I'm in Phoenix, Arizona at a random rooftop at a lifetime after a workout. Steve walks up and I'm like, okay, I'm listening loud and clear. We need to hang out. Now we are hanging out. And as it turns out, he over the years has created his very own, let's call it practice. Yeah. 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 Practice which is somatic breath work. Yes, yeah. sir. And he's going to be hosting a huge event on this Thursday. I'm super excited. Hopefully I get to attend and can tell you guys even more about it in the future. And I'm sure there will be many, many exchanges between us. Absolutely, in this whole thing. brother. But today, I really want to dig in and find out what was the path that led you to creating it? What does it actually do? And what's the vision for the future? And I'd actually like to Tarantino it. What is the vision for the future? Like, why have you created this brand and what do you see it doing for the world? Mm, it's such a good question. And it's something that I'm continuously tapping into. And I think that a having a vision and having goals is very important um, because obviously you, you know, if you don't, if you don't have plans, then usually you plan to fail or something or like, or you're, I don't, I, I totally butchered that quote, but it's so important to have a plan and to have a vision. Um, but even deeper, I think that the success, um, whatever we want to call that, or the growth of this, um, practice and modality, um, has really been attributed to the world is asking for it. And that's the only reason why it's blowing up. I think there's a lot of timing there. Um, there's a lot of pain. And so I think I've been able to listen to and morph myself to what the world is asking for. And I think that's something that I've really come to realize. And for a lot of my years, I attributed like, or I, I struggled and I put a lot of pressure on myself to find like, what's my purpose? You know, I think everyone's trying to, to, we are communal beings, we are tribal beings, and we all want to feel like we're bringing something to the table for our community, for our tribe. And for a long time, I was like, well, what's my, like, how do I sing my song in tune with the symphony of life? Like, what's my purpose? And until I kind of took a step back and... What were you doing when you were asking that question? So it sounds mm. like you were in incoherence at that time. I was testing and trying lots of different things. Like you know, what? we can get into my background a little bit. You know, I was a, a neuromuscular body worker. Um, I helped uh, people with postural issues and um, on a, a musculoskeletal level. Um, I also studied lots of different uh, corrective exercise from like, you know, tack fit stuff to um, steel mace and kettlebells and durability. And, and I also studied um, a lot of different forms of Eastern therapies, such as different types of energy work. Um, somatic release body work, um, studying like how the body stores emotions. A lot of kind of similar work as Bessel van der Kolk, uh, body keeps the score. Um, so I studied lots of different things, uh, Western, uh, 
ideologies of, of working with the mind body systems and then also Eastern. And I kind of wanted to combine both of them or see where they, where they meet. Um, and through that studying lots and lots of different health and wellness modalities. And I did, I never really like found the one thing that was the answer. You know, and I don't think, I still don't think that there's one thing that is like a one size fits all that helps everyone. Um, but through that process, I started to listen and see what was, um, what was really helping people. And I worked with thousands of people in a one-on-one -on -one set setting thousands of people. I also was a, an instructor, a teacher. I taught kinesiology, anatomy, physiology, um, at a holistic school that also gave me space to teach some of these Eastern thought styles, you know, chakras, energetic anatomy, um, those sorts of understandings. And it really allowed me to kind of bridge the gap in between those. Um, and I don't know how deep you want me to get into that. Uh, but I, as, as my, I, I guess I can back up even further, you know, I'll give you a little bit about my story. I was, I'm an only child. I grew up with parents that were really struggling, really struggling. And as a child, you're, you're so sensitive. You pick up on everything, you know, you, you feel your, your parents are everything and what's going on with them are a lot of the times the things that you're feeling as well. And so I watched my parents really struggle and they were addicts. They were addicted to hard street drugs, you know, meth, cocaine, different things like that. And were addicted to them before me and during while they had me. And, you know, they, they were, they were, they were struggling. And, you know, when I was about four or five, they kind of, they moved to Arizona, started a new life. My dad went there to rehab and I quickly watched them kind of change from these hard street drugs to prescription medications. And I saw them, I was such an aware child. I just knew that something was off. I think spending time with other, other, other families, like seeing the way that their dynamic was, and then kind of going back to my family and wondering like, why, why can't they come to my sports games? Or why can't they, you know, why, why can't they come meet my friend's parents? And I watched them struggle with you know, anxiety, and depression. And I saw them quickly switch from those street drugs to prescription medications and cycling off different medications and trying a new one that, you know, was masking the symptoms of what was already there. And probably from, you know, their, the, the things that were passed down from there, you know, they were just doing the best that they could from what was passed down from their family. And I think that that's probably a, a massive driving force in why I do the things that I do. But I was always very physical. I played lots of sports. I was always running the streets, you know, hide and seek. I was an am amateur. I was an amateur skateboarder. Um, I skateboarded in lots of different competitions. I played basketball. That name, Steve Jaggers. <laughs> I feel like it's a skateboarder name. It, it, it was, man. Skateboarding's um, a very interesting thing that maybe we can get into. But, you know, I was always outside running the streets and playing sports and just doing things that kept me in my body. And it took me a while to really understand that why I was so 
passionate about those things. But when you're doing stuff that keeps you in your body, you're not thinking about what's going on at home. You're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about the past. It really puts you in a flow state where all that matters is that present moment. And I became quite addicted to that. And I also really, you know, wanted to, wanted to understand the mind as well and what made people tick. And so I couldn't decide whether to go down this body route, like after high school or whether to go down this kind of psychology route. And so I ended up going to school for, for both. I wanted to go to school for physical therapy and study the, the, the body. And I also wanted to go to school for psychology. I wanted to study the mind. And unfortunately, in our culture, those are two separate routes, right? They're not intertwined whatsoever. And I, I had a hard time in school um, reading books. And, and I'm, I'm such an experiential learner that I ended up dropping out. I just couldn't fit myself into the normal kind of norm for how schooling is. And... I dropped out. I, I, I went on a little uh, corporate America spritz. I, I worked as a human resource executive for a microchip company, working a desk job 40 hours a week for, for two years. And I quickly found out that, that that's not for me as well. I ended up, thank God, thank Spirit um, for laying me off and, and letting me go of that. And during that time, I, I kind of went through, you could say, a spiritual awakening for myself started having lots of lucid dreams and I was wondering like, what are these such vivid dreams? What is going on? I've never experienced this before in my life. And through that process, I started studying kind of lucid dreaming and, and that led me down a rabbit hole of understanding altered states of consciousness. And it just sent me down a rabbit hole. And I started learning about the, the, the energy body and your subtle body and, and different things. And I ended up um, finding a, a holistic school that taught a lot of these different things that I was kind of studying. It taught body work, yoga, nutrition, um, chakras, and all of these different very woo-woo uh, studies. And I was like, this, these are my people. I want to learn this. Um, and coming from a very athletic background as well, I saw being a body worker as some, a very valuable skill that I could help anybody anytime. And all I need is myself and another person. And no one can ever take that away. And through that process, I just, I fell in love with it. I ended up, as soon as I got my hands on someone's body, all of these books, all of these anatomy books, all of these kinesiology books, they came, they became so much easier for me to read because I could, apply it because it was experiential. And I think most of us are experiential learners. I think humans are experiential learners. And I think that a lot of the ways, you know, it's a whole different topic. Our, our school system is not set up to, uh, to help experiential learners. Um, but I ended up f falling in love with, uh, with the body and understanding it. So I studied lots of different modalities um, from, I became a neuromuscular therapist, studied, you know, postural rehabilitation and, and uh, lots of different Western understandings of, of uh, the body and also, you know, Eastern studies of, of energy and TCM, traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda and, um, you know, polarity therapy, cranial sacral therapy. And, and I really was fascinated on kind of bridging the gap between these Western understandings and also uh, the sort of Eastern understandings of, of your mind body system. 
And it really allowed me to work with people on a mind and body level, which is so intrinsically connected. You can't bypass the mind and you can't bypass the body. They both affect each other. And that's a, 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 I think the fundamental issue in our culture is the dissociation and the separation of looking at us as uh, as uh, a mind system and a body system. Um, but as a body worker, I was you know working one on one with so many people, and you know I would help them on a postural level, and I would see the changes that it would make for their emotions and how they carry themselves, how they walk through the world, and then oftentimes they would come back with the same issues over and over again. And it felt very fleeting. And through that time, I was kind of doing some self-searching and I had, you know, explored with some, some different um, psychedelic or entheogenic uh, substances. And I was so fascinated with uh, psychedelics. And I wanted to study psychedelics and really understand why they're not legal and used in conjunction with, uh, with, you know, psychotherapy. And I ended up finding this nonprofit organization called maps. And a lot of people are probably familiar with maps. And I, uh, I, I worked as a volunteer for maps. Um, and in 2017, I worked the psychedelic science conference, um, as a, a body worker, energy worker, I just went there and worked on people and was able to listen to all these great speakers such as Gabor Mate. Um, and then I ended up going to, I had lots of friends that were like, there's this guy named Stan Groff. You need to go to his, uh, his breath work session. It's so powerful. And I was like, breath work. Um, it's as powerful as DMT. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but I ended up going to his, his session and it was one of the most profound experiences for me because during that session, I had more of a physical release than any uh, body work, physical therapy, acupuncture, any other modality that I had experienced. I became very aware during that breathwork session of where I had stored a lot of this ancestral or, or trauma that had been passed down from my parents. See, I had been um, sort of diagnosed with uh, uh, fusing of my thoracic spine um, and maybe a little bit of kyphosis or scoliosis in my thoracic spine. And I had felt this blockage in like my solar plexus. And for anybody who knows, your solar plexus is sort of your fire center. A lot of the times where people have issues with their solar plexus, um, sort of the shadow side of your fire center um, can can result in like addiction to stimulants you know that that um that false sense of fire passion it can really burn out your your fire stimulants and uh i had felt that that had been kind of passed down from my parents addictions um and it had resulted in in my sort of blockage in my solar plexus and there probably was other emotional stuff and and also postural stuff going on there but i had I, through that breath work i had yelled screamed cried and discharged and released a lot of the stored tension and emotion that had been stored in my fire center and once I kind of cleared that out and, and, and had that release on a somatic level, I became clear mentally. 
And the message that came through that was so clear is that I had always been a breath worker first, a body worker second. Because on a subconscious level, when you are working, and you know this, when you're working with somebody on a physical level, if you're doing anything with them and they're holding their breath or their nervous system is in a contracted state or in a state of defense, anything that you're doing with them, it's not working. It's not working. So I saw myself as trying to work with so many people and their nervous system is, is in a contracted state. And most of the time what I'm doing is not lasting. Um, and, and subconsciously, when I was working on people, I would be attuning myself to their breath rhythm. And if I could get them in a, breath, in a, in a solid breath rhythm, I could show their nervous system that it's safe. I could take them into a new range of motion. We could express what needed to be expressed in that moment. And so I had this huge realization that I had been a breath worker first, a body worker second. And I had the realization that anybody that's working with any human in any sort of capacity is a breath worker. You're a breath worker first. You're a, 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 a physical therapist second. You're a personal trainer second. You're, you're a breath worker first. You're a coach second. Because, and this, this sent me down a rabbit hole of, of wanting to study um, breathing and, and your respiration on an Eastern level and on a Western level. And come to find out your breathing rhythm is actually the thing that controls the state of your nervous system. And you could say your nervous system is the same thing as your chakra system. You have nerve bundles or nerve ganglia at all of those different seven centers that control the muscular skeletal, um, glandular functions on all of those different electrical lines. It is your electrical system. You are, we are all electrical beings and your breath controls your electricity and your breathing rhythm is the only body rhythm that you can do consciously and unconsciously. It's the only body rhythm that you can do. Like we can take in a breath right now or we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to think about it. We're still going to continue to breathe. And so it is the bridge between your conscious and your unconscious mind and body. And it's an access point, it's a toggle switch, it's a button that you have inside of you to have sovereign control over your system and control the state of your electrical system. And I was so fascinated um, by, by studying this. And so I ended up combining breath work, different types of breath work, and there's so many different types out there. And there's a lot of dogma within that saying, this is the way you should do it. This is the way you shouldn't do it. Actually, all different breathing techniques are good. They're all just good for different things. And we can get into that. But I started combining breath work with uh, these different body work techniques that I had, had you know, kind of honed and also different guided verbal um, like NLP cueing. Um, and I started just you know, I started doing lots and lots of sessions with people and I started to see kind of a, a similar um, protocol that I was doing with people. And I had been working with um, a couple uh, psychologists and also coaches that, and I, I remember the day one of them came up to me and they were like, when are you going to teach what you do? And I had this light bulb that just flicked on and I remembered my teaching days and how much I love that, how much that lit me up so much. 
And I, I ended up taking two months and kind of going into a cave and, and birthing this, um, this book or this uh, workbook protocol. Um, and I started teaching people. And now we have over, we have about 300 practitioners worldwide and it's been only about a year. And we just did an online session for 1600 people globally. We have people messaging us all over the world that are watching these emotional clips of people releasing. And, you know, a lot of them don't even know what's going on, but they see that. And, and it's not me up there talking because English is a language that is only understood by some people on this planet, but emotion is a language that's understood by every human on this planet. And so there's a lot of people seeing this stuff on social media that are seeing people feeling and expressing different emotions. And they're seeing another human being with their, with them in a place of non-judgment. And I think there's an emotional re-education that's going on and people are like seeing this and they're like, wow, this person is feeling something so deeply and this, and, and I don't know what's going on, but I I'm feeling something too. And I need to feel because feeling is how you were born into this world it's your birthright so let me ask you a question in your day-to-day -day <laughs> life being such like a you know i'm just gonna use the term guru at this yeah. work right and just it's okay we can just everyone yeah. can understand that, that don't we'll mean, use that as a label for yeah now. we'll use it as a label <laughs> when you experience a breakup when you experience a death in the family mm. What's your process for experiencing those feelings? It's so interesting you asked me that right now because I am currently going through that process. I just moved to Austin about two weeks ago. Um, my partner and I, which uh, we have, it's been the most healthy relationship that I've ever been in, um, are kind of making this decision whether or not we are going to continue in relationship or we're not. And I think that in our culture, we have such an issue with endings. We have such an issue with death and I, I could tie this all together and I'll answer your question. I don't want to dance around it, but we have such an issue with letting go. We have an issue with goodbyes. I remember watching my grandma when she was dying from cancer everyone was sitting around her and the whole family was like, please don't leave us. You know, there was this angst energy in the room, like, please don't leave us. Like, you know, like when someone is dying from cancer, it's like they lost, they lost the war to cancer. When it's like, you know, all of us were sitting around her and I could feel the family energy of just trying to cling on to this person. And I could tell how uncomfortable she was and how, everyone was putting that energy of that she lost this war to cancer on her where it's like she's it's this is a natural process she's dying she's letting go like let her go and as soon as everybody left to dinner she died she didn't want to die with everyone around her holding on to her she wanted to let go when people weren't doing that to her and I think that when in our culture, we have such an issue with, with, um, with endings and, and letting go and, and specifically in my relationship, it's not like there's any one thing that's, that's wrong. I think, especially in relationships, like 
most people break up because there was a significant event that was the thing that's like, okay, you know, this person cheated, now it's time to end. Or this person, you know, uh, is abusive, okay, it's time to end this relationship. Where between me and my partner, like, there's not any one thing that's wrong. There's not any one thing that's like, this is the thing that is causing us to break up, which makes it really hard, which makes it really hard. It's just that we are perhaps going in different directions or perhaps there needs to be a death to the relationship of what was so that there can be a birth to a new sort of relationship. And I think that it takes a lot of consciousness. It takes a lot of awareness for there to be a letting go of what was to welcome what is. And even when we look at nature, in our culture, we're just, we're so not okay with death. But anytime a, a, a tree or a forest burns down, it remineralizes the soil for thousands of plants to grow back. And so death is a part of life. And we are so dissociated and disconnected to our body and death is a natural process. It is the innate intelligence of biology itself. And so for myself right now, I think giving myself a lot of space. What does that mean? Space can, yeah. So words are obviously the carrier of meaning. And I love that you asked me what that means because we actually need to understand. A lot of us assume we're on the same page. Like I use the word space. You might have a different meaning from that than me. For me, space is time spent not doing anything. <laughs> and it's, it's simple, but it's, it's time spent not doing anything so that I can digest my experiences and digest my emotions. We live in a world where we're not comfortable with space. Most of the time we're having conversations with people. People want to talk over the end of other people's sentences. If I take a pause in a, in a, in a conversation, a lot of the times most people want to fill that pause. Or if I have a brief period of time where I have space, I'm usually like pulling out my phone to check some stuff. And like, we're not okay with space, but space allows us to digest our experiences and digest our emotions and also our thoughts. And if you were to be able to see when you're walking around and looking at people, all of their undigested experiences and their undigested emotions and also their undigested information, most people would be experientially obese. Most people are mentally obese. Most of us are so addicted to learning new things and listening to more podcasts and reading more books. And we accumulate all this information and we're taking it in just like we're taking in food. But if we don't give ourselves time and space to digest those, to absorb it, to assimilate it into nutrients that become who we are in an embodied form. Then you have to go to a somatic breathwork session. Then you have to go to a somatic breathwork session, exactly. So 
I mean, if you think about the, the OG way to like cleanse your, your body, it's like there's so many different diets nowadays, so many different cleanses, but what's the OG way to cleanse? It's to not eat anything. It's to fast. It's to just stop the intake, stop the intake so that you can be with what is so that you can digest with what is. And so there's a stopping of the intake of more things right now. And so that I can digest and process what has been um, so that I can learn from it, so that I can absorb it, so that I can create and, 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 and really allow those nutrients to become the new version of myself and that's growth. Beautiful answer. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to listen to that on repeat a few times. <laughs> so when there's something absolutely incredible that happens in your life, you have this brand blowing up, you um, have a phenomenal business partner that now gets to come over all the time. Yeah. You moved here. You get this beautiful space in downtown you have these incredible friends, all of these wonderful things. You go to a great concert, whatever it is, right? How would you recommend we allow ourselves to like really fully embrace those beautiful moments? Like mm. from your background of having all of this knowledge, like how do we lean into really feeling those wonderful moments and like allowing those to anchor in? Yeah. I think that we live in a, we live in a duality and we can't bypass that duality and that most of us are numbing ourselves from feeling a lot of the lows, numbing us from feeling a lot of the pain of things. And when we cut ourselves off from those lows, we cut ourselves off from being able to fully experience those highs as well. And so, you know, it's just like, Carl Jung, uh, a tree can only grow as tall as its roots run deep and, and numb. I've really been sitting with this idea of numbness. Um, because like we can take, ex for example, the, there's an epidemic of pain medication right now. And, you know, if I worked 40 hours in a cubicle, and I would probably want some sort of pain medication to numb me from my existence because humans on a soul level, on a biological level, were not designed to sit in a cubicle for 40 hours a week. And so I would probably want something to numb myself from being able to actually fully feel the pain of what my life is. But that pain is so necessary because that pain becomes the catalyst to actually feel the pain of your existence and how shitty it is right now. Allowing yourself to feel that will probably become the catalyst that will allow you, that will force you to, to, to change. It'll force you down a new route. And so allowing yourself to feel some of these very painful painful experiences will allow you to experience some of the highs in life and numbness or to the act of numbing yourself is actually a, a very much an active process, meaning that it takes energy from your system to maintain a state of numb. It takes energy 
for you to continue to push things down. Like in body work, we call this parasitic tension. And so most of us have lots of parasitic tension, like maybe in our neck and our shoulders, our traps, like it takes energy from your nervous system to contract a muscle, right? And so we have parts of our bodies that are always contracted. Like maybe you have a lot of stress and tension in your neck and shoulders, and maybe those muscles are, are always contracted. And that is actually, it takes a lot of energy from your system to maintain that state of contraction. And so the same thing happens on an emotional level. It takes a lot of energy from your system to maintain a state of numb, to not feel. It takes that, and that energy could be utilized towards being who you are in the world, who you want to be in the world, from spending time with your family, from showing up in the world in a way that you want to. And so when we continue to push things down and not let ourselves feel some of the, 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 the painful existence in life, um, when we continue to push that down, it's taking away our energy because that is constantly going on. It takes away our energy to actually be able to be fully present in some of these positive experiences as well. So then probably most people who are listening to this, watching this ever, will then now recognize some areas or some things that are painful that maybe they don't wanna look at. Yeah. That's a conscious choice, right? Even yeah. though I have stuff, I'm like that. Dude, I'm, I still I'm have stuff. Right now. Yeah. What's the easiest entry point that you'd recommend for the widest amount of people? Or if you need to give a couple entry points, that's okay. Yeah. So, like, they're right now, they're like, hey, I hear you. I feel that I'm open and I'm, I'm willing because now you've shown us the polarity of like, mm -hmm. if I can feel this pain, I can feel more joy when I'm playing with my kids. Yeah. If I feel this pain, I can have a deeper relationship with my partner. If I feel this pain, my business will grow. If I feel this pain, I will change my job and do what I love. Yeah. If I feel this pain, I can make better health decisions. If I feel this pain, I can sleep better at night. Yeah. What do we do with that if someone doesn't have the education that you have? Awareness is always the first step. Awareness is most of the battle, right? If we look at numbness, if we look at what's the opposite of numbness, it's actually to be sensitive. It's actually to be, and we, and even that word, it has so many barnacles attached to it. Like sensitivity, we look at it as such a weakness in our culture. Like if someone's sensitive, it's like, oh, like be careful around this human, like they're sensitive, uh, they're weak when really actually sensitivity is actually to be full of sensation. It's to be full of sensory awareness. It's to be full of sense. And to become sensitive is to become very aware. And I think if we look like hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago at like some of the strongest humans, you know, maybe hunter gatherers or or, you know, people that are uh, uh, living a very native lifestyle, like those humans were very sensitive and very aware to minute, like details and energy fluctuation, like through life, they'd be able to tell like if a, a leaf was like, just like barely, you know, uh, grazed by a deer that walked past it, like 
you know, uh, you know uh, weeks ago or something. So sensit- cultivating sensitivity in your life, first with yourself, cultivating awareness. Like, and this is, this is connecting the mind to the body, connecting your mind to your body. And I'm hesitant to give people sort of like daily practices or this is what you should do because everyone is in a different place. The main thing is like, because people ask me often, like, what are your daily practices? And I know so many people that do a, a morning practice, like a morning breathwork practice, and then they get in their car and then they're fighting traffic and then they're telling everyone on the way uh, to fuck off or like they're speeding through traffic. And it's like, did that, did that morning practice actually help you at all? It's not necessarily about a morning practice. It's about actually cultivating awareness through your daily life. And I noticed that in, within body work too. It's not like you could spend an hour with me and I can work on your body um, and I can make significant changes, but, but you are what you repeatedly do. You know, if you spend an hour with me out of the day, you've got 23 other hours that you're doing different things. And so the more aware that you can become of yourself and what you're feeling, the more sense, sensation, the more sensitivity, that you can develop because it is a muscle to actually notice what you are feeling. I think a lot of people become enmeshed. We forget what is self and what is other, you know, there's this topic of being an empath, right? And to be an empath is definitely a superhero. It's to be able to feel things on a deep level, to feel others on a deep level and sensitivity um, only becomes a superpower when you know boundaries, when you know what is self and what is other. And so all of these practices, breath work, meditation, yoga, body work, acupuncture, journaling, all of these different practices that are gaining popularity, they're all self-inquiry practices. They're all getting you to look inside and see where am I at? Because if you know where you're at, then you can actually relate to another human. You can't actually relate, and we can talk about relating. You can't actually connect to commune and relationships and and communication, community to commune, to connect with others and the planet is a huge reason why we are alive. It is, a, it is one of our greatest purposes. And to be able to actually connect and form deep relationships with other humans, you can only connect um, with another human as deeply as you've connected to yourself. And so cultivating awareness and creating space where you can digest your experiences, where you can digest your emotions, where you can tune in to what am I actually feeling? Most people don't know what they're actually feeling. It is it we've become such a mentally dominant culture where we have labeled the mind kind of our ruler and the body is just something that we have to deal with. The body is just something that I have to shower and put clothes on and feed it. And but there is more intelligence in one of your cells in your body than your mind could ever even fathom. Like the autonomic functions that are going on in your body, like the digestion of your food, the beating of your heart, all of these functions that are going on, if you had to be responsible of that 
on a mind level, like if you had to be responsible for cellular uh, reproduction, um, your mind can't, can't even fathom the processes that are going on. And so connecting to the intelligence that's actually moving through your body, connecting to the intelligence that's actually um, moving through you on an emotional level, on an instinctual level, um, and there are practices to do that, but all of those practices, you need to understand the why behind them and the why behind them is self-inquiry. Where am I at? Because if I know where I'm at, then I can actually connect with another human. And so there's lots of different practices, but they're all awareness practices. They're all getting in touch. They're all connecting, connecting your mind back to your body and one other piece on that is that we the if i were to label one main issue for our world for a society as humans it would be dissociation it would be a disconnect between our mind and our body it would be a disconnect between ourselves and nature it would be a disconnect from understanding that we're all connected because and we look at technology like our bodies are ancient. Our nervous system, the electrical system of your body has been, has been created and evolved through thousands and thousands of years. And just recently within the past 20, 10, 30 years, have we had technology where we can see these tragedies that are going on on the other side of the world. And when I look at my phone and I see, you know, maybe it's just two hours away, there's, a, there's a, a massive shooting and how tragic that is. Well, I'm not there and there's nothing that I can do for them in the moment. But each one of your cells is a biological process and each one of your cells know that you are intrinsically connected to all of nature, that you are intrinsically connected to the humans on the other side of the world. And so there's a responsibility that's felt as a human that we want to help other humans. But when we see something, like your nervous system is only designed to deal with your immediate reality and what's going on in front of you. And so there's a dissociation that happens. There's a disconnect that happens that, oh, it's going on across the world. And there's nothing that I can do about it, but I still feel it. I still feel the weight. And so we're trained to dissociate. We're trained through technology a little bit to disconnect. But each one of your cells knows that if you dump toxins in the river halfway across the world, that eventually that water is going to make up the water that's in the body of your children. And so there is a disconnect within ourselves from our mind to the intelligence of our body. There's a, dis, there's a dissociation disconnect going on. And I, 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 my mission in the world is to help people reconnect to the intelligence and the natural processes that have been cultivated through thousands of years within our body and once we can connect to that, then I think that we can 
form deep, meaningful relationships with others and we can start to um, heal a lot of the wounds um, and a lot of the um, disconnect uh, within communities, within connection, um, human to human. Yes. <laughs> I'm hearing you say two really beautiful things, two patterns I'm seeing here. Number one, when we identify the thing in our body or the thing in our minds or the thing in our soul that is that pain, that is that disconnect that we've created, awareness is step one. Mm -hmm. Step two is paying attention to our breath, paying attention mm -hmm. to our body, mm -hmm. allowing ourselves to enter into whichever category of that feels interesting to us. Mm -hmm. right? Whatever kind of feels like we have some passion around, whether it's doing the breath work or whether it's going... It's creating some something. sort of space. Yes, some, some sort, sort of, of space. space. To feel, mm -hmm. to be really present with whatever that thing is, mm -hmm. knowing that on the other side there's going to be beauty and pleasure, but being present now for it, of whatever it is now, right? Yeah. And what we brought up early on, which is the second thing, is you were at this phase in your life where you're like, what am I meant to give? What am I meant to be here for? You've explained that for yourself. The question I have for them is if they're at that point of what am I meant to do or what is my service, what is my gift to the world, do you have any entry points there that you'd recommend for people to start to explore that? Maybe they've already cleared and been cleaning some mm -hmm. of these energies for themselves, but they're still in that state of, what is that gift? Yeah, I want to break down the first part and then we'll get into the second part as far as the gift. So awareness is the first step. Creating a space for yourself to f just feel is, is second. Third is, is sort of moving into the mind. But, and, and the reason why that is, is because we need to understand the processes of our body and, and how our body works with stressors or trauma. So trauma, and that's a word that's so thrown around right now, stress as well. Those are not the things that are happening to us. Stress, when something stressful happens to me, it's not the event, it's actually what's happening inside of me based on that thing. And so it's subjective. What's stressful to you might not be stressful to me based on my resilience, based on, based on what I've been through, based on the load that I've prepped myself to be able to carry. And so it's a subjective experience and everyone's different. But what happens is when something stressful happens to you, we are, we are animals first. Like, we have forgotten that we're fucking animals. Humans are animals. We do a lot of cool shit. We've become very mental and we've created a lot of really like cameras and, and microphones and we've done a lot of cool shit, but we're also animals. Like we piss and we shit and we have to eat food and we like, we're, we are animals and we are animals first. We are mental being second. And even the process of like, our systems, this frontal lobe, this neocortex has been developed in recent human existence. But first, when something stressful happens to you, you have an instinctual response first. Like if someone were to attack you, you would first have an instinctual response. You would either want to fight this person. 
you would want to flee or maybe you would freeze and that's not happening in your mind. It's happening like that because you need to be able to respond quickly. And so that's, that's been cultivated through thousands of years to keep us safe, to keep us alive. And that is the first thing that goes on is in, there's an instinctual response. And shortly after that, or probably directly after that is you have an instinctual response to whatever sort of stressors happening. Then you feel an emotion and that emotion is a powerful chemical concoction of glandular secretions of different chemicals from your body. That's still not happening in your mind. That's happening in your soma. So you have an instinctual you know, response, then you have an emotional response. And maybe if someone was attacking you, maybe you feel scared and you want to run away. Or maybe you feel courageous and like you're, you want to fuck this person up or you want to, you know, fight them. And only lastly, after that whole situation went on, your mind is going to start to create a story based on what you what came up for you on an emotional and an instinctual level. So I'm trying to break this down as we are, as we, we have a somatic process first, an instinctual and an emotional process that, that happens first. And then the mental, the mental starts to come in after. And that mental process, we start to create a story based on our responses and what came up for us on an instinctual and an emotional level. And maybe that story or that perception that starts to run, if you, you know, maybe you fought this person is maybe like, maybe the story that's running is like, I'm courageous. I'm confident. Like I'm a badass. And maybe then that's the perception that starts to run in your mind. Or maybe if you, you know, if you were, if, if you were scared and you ran and, and, and maybe the perception, the mental story that starts to run is that you know, the world's out to get me or the world is not a safe place. And so that's the lens that your mind starts to, starts to view the world from. But that lens, that mental story is often based off of what happened on an emotional and instinctual level. And so our world is set up in a way, like we do psychotherapy where we talk, we do a lot of talk therapy and we work with the story, but you can work with someone's story all day long if you don't help someone process on an instinctual level, on an emotional level, then it's not going to have a lasting effect. So understanding that if someone is like you, and there's this topic of like limited thinking, right? A lot of us have heard this in the coaching space. Like, you know, I just, and I have had so many people come to me that are like, I just can't get over these, like this limited thinking, these limited thoughts. Like I just, like people don't choose to think limitedly. A lot of the time, these limited thoughts or this limited perspective is based on the state of your nervous system. Like if you are in a contracted state physically, like if you are still a wounded animal, you're not going to be able to think expansively. If you are in a contracted state physically, you're going to be picking up on contracted ideas. Your body is an antenna. Your nervous system is an antenna. And the study of yoga has shown this, like these different asanas, these different positions that we, that you do in yoga are to create different um, shapes, different antennas to be able to tune into different things. And so the state of your body, the state of your nervous system 
is going to dictate a lot of the, 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 the ability to tap into expansive thought. If you feel so safe in your body, if you feel so expansive in your body, and Joe Dispenza has done a great job at explaining this, creating an elevated emotion. Like when you create an elevated emotion in your body, you start to be able to tap into very expansive thinking. When you shift out of a state of scarcity, out of a state of wounding, out of a, then your body starts to feel safe enough to access elevated states of emotion. And elevated states of emotion create this like magnetic electrical bubble around you. And then things just start to align. People want to spend time with you. People love your energy. You're able to think expansively. And so addressing, like, we, we need to understand that we're body-centered beings first. We're mental beings second. And so the, the processes that I think that we go through as a human is to allow ourselves to discharge, to release on an instinctual level, like, what was the thing that I needed to do in the moment? Maybe I needed to yell. Maybe I needed to scream. Maybe I needed to cry. Maybe I just needed to like lash my body out. Maybe I needed to punch somebody. Maybe, and so you can create a space for someone to kind of reenact whatever that instinctual thing that needed to go, they needed to go through, like on a physical level. You watch animals do this, um, which we can get into. And then it's like a lot of the times the emotion that was pushed down, that needs to come up. And that needs to be expressed because that discharge, that physical release on a body centered level is the thing that communicates to your system that you're not in the presence of a stressor anymore. So most people were so suppressed. And so when something really stressful happens, we are told to kind of sit down, shut up, don't feel that and just try to create a mental story around it that it's okay and you'll get over it and you can just put it in the backpack of weight of experiences that you'll continue to carry around uh, and forever. And so there's so many people out there and it's a cultural and a societal issue that um, most people are walking around um, with undigested experiences where they have not had a space to allow themselves to discharge emotionally, to discharge instinctually. And so they are, and so that discharge, that release, when that release comes up, that is the signal to your nervous system. That release is the signal to your nervous system that it's that you're not in the presence of a stressor anymore. Most people are walking around like they're still in the presence of being attacked by a tiger. Like their body doesn't know any different. And so when you're walking around as a wounded animal, you, 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 your body, maybe your mind, you've gotten your mind to a place where this is just how I am, but your body is still in that wounded state and you're probably lashing out on people. And I was going to do a post on this, but like, I think that this is kind of the reason why, you know, this, like this school shooting, such a tragic event, but as a society, we don't have the spaces set up for people to express emotion in a healthy way. And so that emotion, it bottles up, it festers, 
until it becomes a an explosion, a lashing out on the people and the communities around them. And uh, I kind of forgot what the second question was, but I wanted to kind of break that down for people. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah. You are just a deep, deep well of knowledge. Oh my gosh, we need to get about 17 hours of this. Let's keep going, bro. I'll keep going. um, The second question is that moment when you started doing this one-on-one work with people before you built the business that you've built now. Yeah. What was the thing, what was the practice or the realization or the experience that you went through where you were like, oh, was it a, was it a moment or was it a, gra- a gradual thing that you were like, this is, this is how I'm meant to serve or this is what feels? <clears throat> yeah, it, it was a lot of different things. And I'll, I'll, I want to give people a little bit of background because I... Um, now I was teaching at that holistic school for a while, teaching a lot of different styles of body work. And, um, I ended up not really being able to make a lot of money from that and to be able to support myself. And I ended up moving to Sedona, um, because I just needed some time and some space for myself after doing years and years of study. Um, and I moved to Sedona and I kind of opened up my own practice and I worked at a couple different places there. And I spent a lot of time just, nurturing myself and um, space where Sedona is such a a transient place. It's such a place where there's not a lot of distractions. So, you know, if you're getting distracted, it's from you. (laughs) Um, And then COVID happened and COVID hit and I ended up losing my job. Uh, People stopped traveling. Um, and then the people that uh, I was renting a house from were like, we, um, we want to rebuild this into an Airbnb when COVID comes back. So I ended up losing my job in my house. And there was this moment where I'm like, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I had probably 1500 bucks to my name. And, uh, I ended up, I felt like Sedona was kind of kicking me out. I was like, and then COVID happened and the world just kind of went to a standstill and ended up moving back to Phoenix where my family and some of my community is. And um, I had a friend that allowed me to kind of just stay at her, her house. And I ended up just doing lots of sessions and, and, um, but, but through that process, um, through that very painful, scary time, there was so many times where I was like, well, I could just go get a job. I could just go like, I could just go and, and, and find some safety. But there was a part of me that was like this tragedy, this very traumatic event was the thing that was the catalyst for me to birth something. And like I said, every human wants to feel like they are bringing something to the table for their community, for their tribe. And a lot of the times the thing that we can bring to the table for our community is the shit that we've gone through is the hard things that we've been through that we've found a way to overcome. And once we find a way to overcome it, we have actually been there and we've done it. We've experienced it. We've embodied it. We understand it. And if we take that word understanding, that word is to be able to stand underneath it and lift it up 
because we've been there and we've held it and we've overcome it. And so a lot of the times people's greatest woundings, people's greatest traumas, um, that's where they find their deepest purpose because you've overcome it and you can help others that have been in a similar situation. And um, through that process of, of just deeply listening to like what my soul is telling me and then listening to the whispers of what the world is asking for. Like, I think so many people post stuff on social media and they try different things because it's like what they want to do. But if you like when, and I went through a period of testing lots of different things, like trying lots of different modalities, trying lots of different things that worked for me. And until I kind of just listened to the whispers of what the world was asking for and doing more of that, then I was able to kind of grow because there was a bigger momentum. There was a bigger momentum that wasn't just coming. It, it didn't, it wasn't all of my energy that was like, okay, this is the thing that I want to do in the world. It was like, no, uh, I'm trying all these different things and I'm feeling like what, and, and people are responding to this. Oh, people are really responding to this. Oh, they're asking for more of it. Okay, well, it's not exactly what I thought I was gonna do, but it's what the people are asking for. And I recently had a conversation with a, a uh, shaman from um, Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. And he told me that in 2020, a lot of the shamans witnessed this sort of sick, they called it a sickness of the air. It was this dark cloud that kind of descended upon the world. And they called it a sickness of the air. And this was the, uh, a time when the, the Amazon was burning and those Australian fires were going on and um, those fires in California were going on, the lungs of the planet were burning. And then we, shortly after, we have this, you know, this um, respiratory virus that's attacking people's ability to breathe all around the world. It's killing people, putting people on respirators. And then shortly after that, we had this whole racial thing go on where a man was being choked, yelling, what, I can't breathe. And then we're forced to wear masks. And so there was subtle whispers in the world that was telling me that there was a, there's a war, there's a battle going on against our respiration. And if we break down that word to respire is to respirit. Every time you take a breath, you breathe your soul, your spirit, your life force energy back into your body so that you can show up from that place right here, right now. And to respire through your respiration, you can become inspired. You can take in the spirit. You can take in your spirit. You can breathe, bring it back down into your body so you can live right here, right now because we don't have much time on this planet. And... I don't know about you, but I want to live it from, from an embodied place, from a heart-centered place, from a place that my soul, my spirit knows is, is um, helping myself and, and helping others and living in a symbiotic relationship with the, the plants and the animals. And so there was lots of whispers um, coming in, and I think that I was listening to the whispers inside of myself, but until you start to lisper, listen to the whispers of what the world is asking for, um, 
it makes uh, living your purpose a lot easier. And it, it doesn't just come from your energy, but it comes from a collective energy, from a, a, um, a movement. And that's what I'm here to do is to create a movement. So when people fall in love with you, listening to this, where do they go? How do they stalk you? How do they, how do they just follow everything? Uh, they we got to we gotta keep going, dude. Where, we'll we'll do another go? one, man. I live we here will. now. We'll we do will. a lot more. Um, if you want to connect with uh, myself, um, Instagram is where I'm kind of the, the um, I guess, the most active. Uh, my Instagram handle is at Jaggers, J-R. That's J-A-G-G-E-R-S-J-R. Um, you can check out Somatic Breathwork. Our Instagram handle is at Somatic Release. Um, you can check out our website for our offerings. That's uh, uh, somaticbreathwork.com. Um, very soon, I'm going to be going back into my podcast. That's the Mind Body Mentor podcast as well. We'd love to have you on there sometime, and um, lots and lots of things to uh, to be created. And and um, like I said, I'm just giving myself a little bit of space uh, because life uh, life is moving quickly, and when things are moving quickly, it's it's a good time to slow down and, and to just really tune in. Thank you so much. This is so beautiful. I'm so excited for round two, three, four, five. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. There's many more to come.